I would like this morning that you first turn to the book of Isaiah, once again. <laughs> there are some very interesting parallels between the passage in Isaiah 5, 1 through 7, and the parable that Christ delivers. So I thought I'd bring this to your attention this morning. Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Listen carefully to the holy word of God. Let me sing for my beloved, my, so my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a vine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes and it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do, to do for my vineyard? But I have not done in it. When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed. The briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planning. And he looked for justice, and behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Now, if you would turn over to Mark chapter 12, in the parable of the tenants, chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the winepress and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat, some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son, Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. 
But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir, come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. But they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we ask you to give us understanding concerning this parable, for we know that the mystery of the parable is given to those who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ when we ask that our faith would be bound to the truth of the word that is before us and that we would see ourselves as those who come before the chief cornerstone and worship him. Give us, O Lord, hearts that are convicted to live Christ in Christ's name. Amen. The Jewish Sanhedrin has asked Christ, by whose authority do you do these things? Christ refused to directly answer their question. After all, every word that he has taught, every word that he has preached, every unclean spirit that he has cast out, Every physical ailment that he has healed spoke clearly. If they had eyes to see and ears to hear of his sovereign authority. So Christ directed their attention to the actual fulfillment of the prophetic ministry of the Old Testament prophets that reaches its high point point in the person of John the Baptist as the forerunner of the Messiah as Christ. Yes, can John, can they process in their own arrogant and tyrannical authority the fulfillment of God's activity of sending John the Baptist as the final prophetic warning before the great and final day of God's judgment and blessing to Israel. Since they refused to answer Christ's question as to whether John's baptism is from heaven or man, Jesus tells them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. This is back in chapter 11, verse 33. However, that does not mean that he is going to refrain from giving them another lesson <laughs> about the history of the Old Testament prophets who faithfully spoke the word of God in anticipation of the promised Messiah. 
Hence, Jesus addresses the Jewish leadership with a parable that is before us, the parable of the tenants. Whether they recognize it or not, Christ speaks purposely in a parable connecting the prophet, John the Baptist, to the true prophets of the Old Testament. The parable will underline their rejection of Jesus' authority. It will accent that they are under God's judgment. Yes, they are the withered fig tree cursed by the Son of Man. No one will eat fruit from them ever again. So Jesus picks up on the prophecy from Isaiah about the Messiah that he will speak to apostate, barren Israel. And they will not perceive. They will not understand. Well, let's make sure that we this morning as we come together, let's make sure we understand this point as we listen to Jesus' parable of the tenants. Remember that after Jesus presents the parable of the sower, the disciples asked him, why does he speak in parables? And Christ responded, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, they may hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Christ makes that comment after that parable of the sowers in Mark chapter 4, 11 and 12. And there, as we read this morning, he is quoting from Isaiah chapter 6, 9 and 10. In the parable of the tenants, in that parable congregation, you are seeing the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy executed against or upon the apostasy of the Jewish leadership who are under the judgment of God because they will not turn in repentance from their evil hearts and believe in the Son of Man who is standing right there before them. At the end of the parable, there is no doubt that they see and hear that the parable is against them is about them, verse 12. But their hearts, their hearts are withered to the very roots of their spiritual and religious life. They refuse to turn from their own false authority and surrender to the authority of the true and final prophet and Messiah in Israel. Indeed, there is little mystery as to the content of this parable. Who are the servants that the owner sends to collect the fruit in the vineyard? They are the righteous Old Testament prophets who are constantly rejected by unbelief in Israel. 
because they prophesied the truth of God's word. Jesus is essentially asking the Sanhedrin, the Jewish religious establishment, do you know your Old Testament scriptures? Do you really know how to interpret the righteous prophets that God sent Israel in her history? Congregation, are we listening here this morning? You do not want to be found seeing, but not perceiving. You do not want to be found in this state in which Israel was. You do not want to be found so that you, that you do not understand the very word of the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to know this parable so that you understand what it means to be a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. What it means to embrace the history of God dealing with the church, his church, and the necessary life of suffering, repentance, faith, and forgiveness in Christ. As you listen to Jesus' candid judgment upon the Sanhedrin, may you embrace what a blessing it is to know the redemptive story of Christ from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. Are you, ask yourself this morning, are you a true believer in the story of Jesus presented to you in the entire Bible? The entire Bible. Well, there is not a mystery there is not a lot of mystery about this parable. I would think <laughs> that if you have presented the gospel clearly in your own home, even our young children could figure out some or much of the imagery that is found in this particular parable. The man planting the vineyard represents God himself. And the vineyard is the promised land of Israel. The tenants are the Jewish leadership in Israel, whereas the servants are the faithful Old Testament prophets. The beloved son of the man planting the vineyard is Jesus. And the tenants who kill the beloved son is the present Sanhedrin. Since the symbol, symbolism and the parable is not that difficult to figure out, it makes sense that the Sanhedrin, even if they did not understand each symbolic aspect, could figure out that the parable was directed against them, especially the killing of the heir, the son of the vineyard. There in verse 12, the parable of the tenants 
is a succinct record of the history of redemption in which you end up in the eternal age to come. That's it. Did you get that? The parable of the tenants is a succinct record of the history of redemption in which you end up in the eternal age to come. The parable can be viewed in three parts. First of all, the building of the vineyard. Secondly, the sending of the servants to receive some of the fruit from the tenants. And thirdly, the sending of the son of the owner of the vineyard, whose end occurs by the tenants murdering the son. Let us first look at the building of the vineyard. The vineyard in Old Testament lit wisdom and prophetic literature is a common symbol for Israel. In fact, Christ's parable here closely corresponds to what we read earlier in Isaiah chapter 5, 1 through 7. But there is a difference. In Isaiah's passage, Isaiah has the theme of blessing and judgment, whereas in Christ's parable here, it is exclusively that of judgment, of judgment. Furthermore, Jesus transforms the language of Isaiah 5 into an agricultural illustration. And thus God is now represented as a man who plants his own vineyard. He places a fence around it, dug a pit for a wine press, built a tower, and he leased the operation of the wine press and the tower to the tenants to oversee the landscape, verse 1 of our text. This agricultural parable, speaking of God's covenant of grace, being made initially with Israel and not the nations. There is a fence, if you noticed in the parable. There is a fence around Israel who are to live as a separate covenant. That's what the covenant means, a distinct, separate covenant obedient people in response to the covenant oath of God who has chosen and loved them in distinction at this point from the nations. The owner, God, provides the means to survive in the land. He provides a wine press to sustain their physical lives, and he builds a tower in the center of the land, which, as the prophet Micah contends, is a symbol of the temple in Jerusalem. Yes, Israel will be sustained by responding faithfully in true worship in accordance with the word of the Lord. However, in the present context of Jesus' parable, 
we want to remember that the Sanhedrin has asked Jesus about the authority by which he does the things that he does. Well, throughout this parable, the central authority, the central power or an owner of the vineyard is God, is God. Will the Sanhedrin grasp this point? Even more important for Jesus, the tenants representing the history of leadership in Israel, now found in the Sanhedrin, challenge the authority of the owner at every point with their own abusive authority. This brings us to the second point. The owner sends his servants to receive some of the fruit from those who are the tenants in the land. Congregation in terms of Jesus hitting the Sanhedrin, if you will, between the eyes. You do not want to miss the opening phrase here in verse 2. A very interesting. When the season came. Why is that little phrase so important? Doesn't sound very profound. Something to look at. <laughs> well, it's important because Mark uses the same Greek word for season back in chapter 11, verse 13, as Christ is about to curse the fig tree with the words that no one will ever eat of the fruit from that tree again, pointing to the spiritual apostasy and barrenness of the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem and in the temple. Well, in Jesus' parable, he is accenting the apostasy and barrenness of the leadership in the history of Israel when God sends his servants to get some fruit from the vineyard. Who are these servants who the owner is sending? Whom God is sending to these wicked tenants. They are the true prophets the true prophets who speak the true word of the Lord in the Old Testament. And who are the wicked tenants who are portrayed by Christ as violent against the true prophets whom the Lord sent? The tenants are the Jewish leadership who elevated their own authority against God and above God. Although there is plenty of examples of this arrogant authority among the kings of Israel and Judah. You know the phrase, who did evil in the sight of God. The focus here would seem to be the priests who polluted the true and fruitful, reverent worship, worship of God in the temple. This reference specifically recalls 
the prophecy of Jeremiah concerning the temple being a den of robbers, which Christ used to justify his own action of disrupting, disrupting the activity in the temple. The true prophets who the Lord sent to these supposed guardians of sacred worship in Israel were beaten. You see the description in the text that Christ gives. They're struck on the head. They are treated shamefully. And some are killed. Verses 3 through 5 of the parable. As far as these, those wicked tenants are concerned, the true prophets got what they deserved. Got what they deserved. Oh, yes. How dare. How dare those true prophets demand that we, the self-righteous, need a physician, need to repent? How dare those true prophets challenge our authority to worship the way we choose? to change worship so that it can be more, after all, we change worship so that it can be more relevant to the pagan culture that surrounds us. After all, elements in the pagan culture elevates my feelings. It elevates my emotions in a spiritual way that can connect more easily with the culture and the world around me and the way that I view God. We even have some of that so much pervading the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's almost now, as I like to say, so much of our worship is geared to sounding like love ballads to Jesus out of the 1960s. Where has reverence gone? Well, this brings us to the third sequence and the high point of Christ's parable. The owner of the vineyard sends his only beloved son, thinking that surely they will respect his very son. But the wicked tenants say, oh no. This is the one who actually inherits the vineyard. So we got to get rid of him also. So they come together, united as one, and decide to kill him so that they can have the inheritance of the vineyard. They plan this plot 
as the son of the owner, Jesus is underlining the fact that the owner and the son have authority over the vineyard in opposition to these evil tenants. However, this authority is soundly rejected by the tenants. Mark in his gospel has commented previously that the Jewish religious leaders have been plotting how they can destroy Christ. Jesus exposes their plot in this very parable right to their face. Furthermore, the disciples have repeatedly heard Christ's prophecy that he is going to Jerusalem to die under the depraved authority of the Jewish leaders. Now Jesus presents the, that prophecy in a parable. Moreover, the reader of Mark's gospel cannot overlook that on two occasions in his gospel, Mark records the pronouncement that Jesus' Father in heaven, that from his Father in heaven, Jesus is named his beloved Son. What will the owner do? <laughs> what will the owner do as a response to the killing of his beloved son? Do you want to see who has authority over the sanctity and purity of worshiping the Lord? Do you really want to see who is in control of the vineyard? Well, the owner of the vineyard will come and destroy the tenants under his divine righteous judgment and give the vineyard to others. Now, as you see Jesus make that statement there in verse number nine, who are these others? If it's not Israel, who's the others? Who's going to get this? <laughs> you know the answer. The entire Gentile, the entire Gentile world, the gospel, the house of prayer will be given to the nations. How wonderful is that? will be given to the nations. Please look at verse 10 closely. Jesus turns from an agricultural illustration in the parable to providing an architectural prophetic illustration right out of Psalm 118 verses 22 and 23, a verse and text that you all know. Christ's words are pointing them at the, at the temple building and pronouncing judge, the judgment of God upon the activity of the wicked tenants throughout Israel's history and now crystallized in the revelation of the Messiah. The rejected, they rejected the promised Messiah as the center of Israel's worship in the temple. 
Yes, they rejected that stone. That stone. And now God will make sure that his beloved son will be the cornerstone of a new heavenly, heavenly temple for the New Testament church that bears his name, Jesus the Christ. Revelation 21, 22. Jesus, as the glorious temple of God, the heart and soul of our worship. Is that not true for you today? The heart and soul of our worship is marvelous. He is marvelous in our eyes. Whose eyes? Whose eyes? For those who have faith in God, go back to 1122. This is all connected in terms of the flow of Mark's gospel. Go back to 1122 when Jesus says, what must you have? You must have faith. You must have faith. Do you remember what we noticed about faith in chapter 11, verse 22? It is faith in Christ who has come to remove the temple mount and throw it into the sea. Remember that? The era of perverted worship in the temple is done. It is over. It is under the final judgment of God. There is no life in that temple or its religion. Christ has already clearly declared that when he disrupted the temple. Your faith, your faith, a faith born out of being in union with the ransom sacrifice of Christ on the cross must rest upon and embrace Jesus alone with all your heart, with all your soul and mind as the final eschatological temple of your worship, which controls your entire life. Does your worship of Jesus control your entire life? How has Christ used this new vineyard into history which must be embraced by repentance for one's sin and belief 
in his name unto eternal life. How has Christ ushered in this new vineyard into history, which must be embraced by repentance for one's sin and belief in his name unto eternal life. Christ has come by the decree of his Father and his Father's willingness to make all things new against the corruption of those who turned the house of prayer into a house of robbers. Christ comes into the world to destroy the apostate temple through his death and become the cornerstone of the new temple through his bodily resurrection. How are your eyes this morning? How are your eyes this morning? Are your eyes joined with the body of Christ and fixed on Christ, our temple in heaven? Is that where your eyes are? Do you have eyes that see? If they are, if your eyes are fixed upon Jesus, our temple in heaven, then let me say, as the psalmist says, is not Jesus marvelous, marvelous in your eyes? Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we would pray for that each person here this morning that we all have eyes to see and see Jesus clearly. And in his grace and in his mercy of what he has done for us on the cross and in his resurrection, we see him seated at the right hand of the Father. And this is incredibly marvelous in our eyes. Help us to have a religion in our hearts a spiritual condition in our hearts through thy spirit that life is all about Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.